Good morning. Today's reading is 1 Samuel chapter 22, verses 6 through 8. Now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him. Saul was sitting in Gibeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand. And all his servants were standing about him. And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, Hear now, people of Benjamin, will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds, that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me, to lie in wait as at this day. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. That's on me. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm a little out of practice. Uh, if, you're, if you're new, uh, I want to say hello. If you're not new, I want to say hello. My name's Dave. I'm one of the pastors here at Redemption Tucson, and it's so good to be in this spot, to be back. Um, again, if you are new, I do want you to know I, I have a stutter. It'll kind of come in and out as I, as I preach. If you're not new and you thought I might have left that during sabbatical, I didn't. It's, it's still there. But uh, anyway, it'll kind of come in and out, and just want to give you a, a heads up on that. And um, uh, also, I just want to, again, let you know, if you've come throughout the summer or something like that, uh, our church family, the elders, gave myself and our, our family an incredible gift. Uh, we got three months of just completely being unplugged and, and getting to just spend time together, to have fun together, to make memories together, and we had a great time. And... There's a lot I'll, I'll share in some different, different spots, things that we learned and just ways that we were so blessed and encouraged during that time. Um, but one of the things is just our love for you, you our, our church family. We're, we were ex- while we had such a good time, there was an excitement to get, to get back. I can honestly say I don't wish I was on sabbatical anymore. Um, that was not true before sabbatical. So uh, we're, we're very much thankful to be here. And um, uh, a couple things um, out of the gates. Actually, Pastor Marcus, who you've probably gotten to hear uh, quite a bit over the last few months, he's, he's actually at Redemption North, North Mountain in North, the North Phoenix area, uh, sharing the gospel and sharing that Tucson love with, uh, with the valley. Yes, they need it, right? With the, the Phoenix area. So anyway, he's there, and uh, we'll be excited to have him back with us next week. But um, as we get into our time together, we have a lot to cover. So if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 18. We'll be walking through a huge chunk of scripture together. If you don't have a copy of God's Word and you would like one, which I would encourage, uh, would you hold your hand up high and keep it up, and somebody will get you one. Y en español, si quiere la Biblia y no tiene, por favor, levanta su mano y diga español. Y si no tiene una 
Biblia, uh, eso es su regalo um, a usted. So, so again, this is our gift to you. If you don't own a copy of God's Word, please uh, keep this and put your name in it, underline stuff, ask questions. Uh, this morning, we're, as I said, we're walking through a huge chunk of, of Scripture. We're pretty much wrapping up First Samuel, and we'll be in chapters 18, pretty much all the way through 31. I'm not going to cover all of it. It'll only take a couple hours, right? I've been gone for four months, and we're covering like 12 chapters. So, um, no, it won't, won't be that. I'm excited, though, for, for our time. And as is always the case for anyone who's up here preaching, I want to rem- remind us, this is my heart this morning as well, is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth, and he said, he said I'm with you in weakness and fear and much trembling. And, and I, I cling to nothing, I proclaim nothing except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Uh, I don't come with persuasive speech or wisdom, but uh, I come in weakness and fear and much trembling, um, uh, so that your faith will only be in the power uh, of God and not the wisdom of men. So that's our heart and our, our posture and expectation this morning. So what we're going to see, again, the big idea, I'll just say it out of the gates there, is that we want to see that, that self-control leads to death, but surrender brings life. Okay, so with that, let's, uh, let's, let's, dive, let, let's pray as we um, get into our time together. Father, we come humbly before you. I'm sure some of us even maybe a little bit confused by the kind of provocative title, self-control seems so good, and it isn't certainly in itself bad all the time, but um, Lord, even as we've heard this morning, as we've sung this morning, our propensity is not to lay it all down. It's to cling, to hold on to. So Lord, I pray that through our time together this morning, that we will see you, Lord, that none of us will lay anything down out of, out of obligation or guilt or, or certainly shame or any kind of mani- manipulation. But Lord, I pray and trust that, um, that we will see your goodness, your kindness, and that in turn we will indeed surrender to you fully. And we pray all this, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen. Have you ever, or do you ever, just kind of step back or zoom out and take stock of things, of life, and ask the question, how did I get here? Maybe positively that that happens. Again, I mentioned Pastor Marcus. He sometimes will do that. If you know some of his backstory, he just says, still there are times where I have to pinch myself, and I'm just like, I never in a million years imagined I would be in this place. I had that experience positively as well this summer, just certain times with my family. I'm in there in the car. We're all singing or arguing or whatever it is. And I just it was so thankful. Just if some of my, my backstory, my childhood, and looking ahead to now where I where I am, I'm just so, so thankful and even surprised. And, and again, I have to ask, how did I get here? And, and often it's God's grace, his undeserved favor. I can't explain it. Sometimes it brings me to, to, to tears. Well, on the flip side, 
there are some negative things in our lives, right? That perhaps in yourself, in your own life, or in others' lives, you look around and you just ask, how? How did I get here? How did they get here? Okay, everything in me wants to just out of the gates right here, right? First time in four months, just give a kind of fluffy, encouraging sermon. But the reality is this morning, we get kind of a hard look in the mirror at a very tragic story, a man named Saul and a life that ended in absolute destruction and brokenness. And, and I think for all of us, there's a question and, and an encouragement to look at this, this man's life and as though there's a mirror in front of us and, and to, to ask for him, how did he get here? And then to ask in our own lives, are there places I am currently that I just kind of took things for granted and now ended up somewhere I never imagined I would be? Or again, perhaps just while we're going throughout everyday life, we see people, maybe someone experiencing homelessness, someone uh, addicted to drugs, or in some other kind of very broken and difficult place. And and sadly, our norm in society is just to kind of keep driving, right? Maybe even roll up the window, whatever it might be. But I want to encourage us and challenge us actually to, to, to look, to interact, to ask the question even, what happened? That, that person is somebody's child, somebody's brother or sister, somebody's perhaps parent. You know, what's their story? If possible, ask that. We can ask that question. I'd just love to hear some of your, your, your story. Hopefully, we don't look down our n- nose in those kind of contexts. And, and, just, and if, if we do, I want to actually warn us. Okay, hear me, look at me. I want to warn you. If, if you look down your nose and say, that would never be me or could never be me, it's only by God's grace that, 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 that you're in a place to even say that. I, I hope it would roll off our tongues that outside of God's grace, which is his undeserved favor, outside of God's grace, that could be me. That, that might be me. So with that as the backdrop, let's pick up here in Saul's life as we ask that question, uh, how did he end up where he ultimately ends up in chapter 31 is at the end of this is is he dies alone. He actually takes his own life. He falls on his own sword after getting wounded and, and he has essentially isolated himself from everyone, including God. And you ask, well, how did that happen? Well, let's look at a couple of things. I'll have some of the scriptures up here and then some of it you can turn along. If you find yourself getting lost, it's always okay to look at the table of contents. But in this, where we're covering this much also, I just want to encourage us to kind of maybe just, you know, put on your seatbelt and just kind of go along for the ride and hear and listen to God's word as we walk through such a big chunk together. But look at the, how it all started out for this King Saul in 1 Samuel chapter 11, verse 15. So all the people went to Gilgal, and there they made Saul king before the Lord in Gilgal. There they sacrificed peace offerings before the Lord, and there Saul and all the men of Israel worshipped greatly. It started out really well for Saul. It started out strong. He, it was all about God. He was worshiping God. There was an, an element of humility and, and, and trust, and it's not about me. It's about, it's about God. That's how he started. Well, fast forward to 
2 Samuel chapter 22, we see things had gone terribly wrong. Then the king, so Saul, who we just saw, right, worshiping God, rejoicing in God, the king said to Doeg, you turn and strike the priests. And Doeg, the Edomite, turned and struck down the priests, and he killed on that day 85 persons who wore the linen ephod. So these are priests he had murdered. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey, and sheep he put to the sword. He, he becomes a monster, right? If this was described on the news, you would say that person is a monster. That's a mass execution, a mass murder that he orders. What happened? How did he go from there to there? Well, he went on a slippery slope of self-obsession that led to self-destruction and ultimately death, the death of others, his own death, tragedy. And so again, I just want to again maybe put the mirror before all of us it's important how we start out, okay? Some of you in here are new, you're in college, you're just now starting something out. Maybe, I know some, I'm, I'm walking through pre-marriage counseling with some people, some of us are just starting out as young parents. It's important how you start. It's even more important how we end, is it not? We're about to celebrate eight years here as a church. That's exciting, that's great, but, but there should be a sense of maybe even fear, a healthy fear that is on all of us that until our last breath, we haven't arrived and, and, and we're in danger of going down the slippery slope of self-focus, of self-obsession, right? I've been ma married now 20 years. We just celebrated 20 years this summer. It was amazing. Yes, thank you. There's a little bit of encouragement, right, that we'll, uh, you know, how the next year or two or 10 or 20 go, right, will define our marriage. Our kids will remember that. Our grandkids will remember that. We have a lot to celebrate, but we're not in the clear. Okay, no, none of us are. Well, how did Saul start on this slippery slope of self-obsession and self-destruction? Again, look ahead here. Um, ultimately pride. But, but look at this, okay? This, uh, let, let's look together now in chapter 18, verses 6 through 7, and, and try to humanize Saul, okay, with me. We can dehumanize. We can other someone. Again, as I mentioned earlier, we can be in our car. That would never be me. That could never be me. Oh, how could they? How could that happen? Well, imagine Saul, okay? This is a, a human, a person. Imagine this being you hearing this song sung. As they were coming home when David returned from striking down the Philistine, that's, he killed the giant, Goliath. The women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. Again, put our, ourselves in Saul's shoes. 
Okay, I, I think of that my, myself. I honestly, I thought earlier, just quick little little insight into my own journey, right? I always struggle when I introduce myself up here. Do I say, hello, my name's Dave. I'm the weed pastor at Redemption Tucson. On one hand, oh, it's helpful. It's helpful for people to know, you know, okay, who are the pastors? What are our different roles or things like that? But then at times I'm like, I'm one of the pastors where there's no, in, in a sense of our, 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 our pastoral influence and care, we're all like, accountable before God. Um, Marcus and I are both elders and, and alongside our other elders, there's a plurality, there's a shared there. Well, when someone, you know, there can be times in my own heart where I, I'm tempted to want to say, you know, to kind of slip it in there, you know, to make sure that I'm in the 10,000s, right? Not the 1,000s. And am I all alone here? Okay, there's, we all have that kind of ugly in us. Right? And sometimes it's so subtle. We slip it in. We, we put it in there. We add a little. We stretch out a little story, you know, talking about high school sports days, right? Uncle Rico. I could throw the football over the mountains right there, right? Whatever it is. We all have these little things that, that come. So when we look at Paul's, or sorry, at Saul's pride, Let's recognize, this might sound strange, but, but pride is, is directly married to insecurity. Okay, it's all a result of life apart from God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth and everything that's in them, and then he created humanity, mankind. And in, in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we see this beautiful picture where God says, let us make man in our image as a reflection, as a, as a mirror, which means let us, men and women, all human beings who've ever walked the face of the earth, have incredible value and worth in that our identity and our purpose comes from God. But, but, but we all, like sheep, have gone astray, each one to his own way, Isaiah says. We all said, thanks but no thanks, God. I want my identity to be uh, from myself and from what I do. I want my, my purpose. I want to define my own way, define my own path. I want to uh, do it my way. And the result in Genesis chapter 3 right away is self-focus, and shame, pride, insecurity. Sometimes it's expressed in arrogance. Sometimes it's expressed in self-loathing. And yet it all ultimately starts from looking away from God and looking at self, obsessing on self, focusing on self apart from God. And we see that in Saul's life. So this slippery slope of self-destruction and self-obsession, what does that really practically look like? Well, we're going to walk through three things. In, it's actually in chapter 19. So if you're keeping track, you're kind of fo following along, you're taking notes. I'm not going to read all these verses, but all of chapter 19 shows us three progressions of this slippery slope. And what it looks like is this, a rejection of wisdom a rejection of relationships, and ultimately a rejection of God. So Saul rejects wisdom in, 
In chapter 19, verses 1 through 7, we see that, 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 that people call out Saul and they warn him okay, to, to heed their wisdom. And they say, no, that's not what, that's, remember back in 11, in chapter 11, you started out, it's all about God and his purposes and his goodness. And don't, don't listen to these naysayers, don't listen to these things, right? Remember, stick to the path. And he rejects wisdom. I want to talk to all of us in this room because we've all been tempted to reject wisdom. Young people, and perhaps it's because I now have young kids who are just now starting out high school, and I talk to other people with young kids, whether it's elementary, high school, college. Hear me, okay? If you're somebody's child, that's actually everyone in this room, right? If you're maybe still more pointedly under parental care, Hear from me, because I know many of your parents, and I know I'm a parent, we are imperfect. Okay, so parents, we need to be quick to apologize, to acknowledge our imperfection, acknowledge when we get it wrong. But also hear me, almost everyone I know in this room who's a parent, kids, your parents love you. They want what's best for you. Other people in your lives, mentors, pastors, other members of your redemption community love you and want what's best for you. Don't be a fool. Don't reject wisdom. They don't just want to squash your joy and be lame and, right, just kind of kill you, whether it's dress, attire, whether it's who you hang out with, who you spend time with, the, the, the goal, the longing, the desire is that you will experience the joy and freedom of walking with Jesus, of having your identity so secure in him that you are freed up to love others and to pour yourself out in that way. Don't reject wisdom. Over the last couple years, this uh, God has brought me before this proverb, proverb uh, 29 verse 1, I think I have it up here, it says this, he who is often reproved yet stiffens his neck will suddenly be broken beyond healing. Let that serve as a stark, strong warning to all of us, whatever our age here. If you find yourself getting called out, if someone brings up concerns and you stiffen your neck, right, you resist, be warned. Thankfully, we are never past the point of redemption, of healing, of hope. But often, and I've seen this in my own life and my own family, there can be a ton of pain. Don't stiffen your neck. Don't reject wisdom like Saul did. And then something else that sadly often happens here is Saul rejects relationships. In verse, verses 11 through 17 of chapter 19, we see this specifically spelled out. First, he rejects his relationship with his daughter. It's actually a crazy scene where he gets mad at his daughter, Michael or Michal. She, um, she warns her husband, David, that Saul is hiding out to have him killed. And he kind of throws a tantrum and is like, how could you warn your husband that I was going to kill him? Hopefully that's not any kind of in-law relationships or dynamics that any of us have ever experienced. But, right, he's like, you must hate me. You didn't let me kill your husband, right? And he blames her, but it's sad and tragic. And he actually starts to isolate from his relationship with his own daughter. And then also tragically, his relationship with his son, Jonathan. Um, look, look up here again, what we, the, the scripture that we read earlier, 
Dee read it. Thank you, Dee, for reading, and thank you, worship team, for really setting the stage and ushering into the time of of worship. Well, um, let me just read verse 8, where Saul again throws a pity party. He says, all of you have conspired against me. No one discloses to me when my son makes a covenant with the son of Jesse. None of you is sorry um, for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie in wait as at this day. Jonathan and his daughter Michal and David are all on Team Saul. No one is trying to kill him. No, in fact, we'll see later, and certainly next week, too, like, David has ample opportunity to kill Saul, and he refuses every time. J- Jonathan is for his dad. Even that whole song, right, David has killed his 10,000, Saul's killed his thousands, even that is like notches on Saul's belt. For all of us, okay, what would it look like to not be... Uncle Rico, right? To not try to keep everyone else. If you don't know that, you don't need to. It's a movie. But it's, it's living in past glory and trying to prevent others from coming up and, and, and even perhaps surpassing you. Well, like, we should all hope that our sons and daughters are better parents than we are. We should all hope that the people in ministry that we pour into will will we'll, we'll raise up and we'll see fruit beyond what we've seen our, ourselves, right? If we are freed up from self-obsession, then we're freed up to celebrate God's glory and other people being blessed, no matter who it's through. But Saul is so focused on himself, he's such a navel gazer, right? Staring at his own stomach, right? Staring at himself and so obsessed with himself that he doesn't look up and see God's glory, God's goodness, and how he's working through other people, not recognizing how all of us are incredibly replaceable in terms of our, what we do and what we produce. That if it's never about us, then we're set free from ever just being, being broken and insecure when other people succeed. In fact, Jonathan, if any, I don't have time to look at Jonathan, but he, if anyone, I think is such an unsung hero in this whole story. He's kind of in the shadows the majority of the time. If anyone has reason to be jealous and bitter and angry, it's Jonathan, right? Because Saul is, is going to be king until he dies. So David's not trying to take his place. If anything, he's trying to serve him. He's out slaying 10,000s in Saul's honor, right, as one of his warriors. He's not doing this. So Saul's freed up from this, but he's the one who's actually bitter and having a pity party and angry. But, but Jonathan would be the rightful heir to the throne. And yet he hears that God has anointed someone else to take his father's place when that time comes, and it's David, right? This lowly shepherd boy, an unlikely candidate. And Jonathan rejoices. He celebrates. He enters into a covenant with David. And he says, David, whatever you say to do, I will do. You are clearly God's anointed. I'm just glad somebody is God's anointed. And I get to be next to you and along for the ride. I get to celebrate. It's not about who God anoints. It's about the God who does the anointing. And Jonathan is just set free. And Saul doesn't see that. He's bitter. He's angry. He's jealous. 
And we'll talk more about David next week, okay? There's some overlapping here as we kind of close the book on, on Saul. Uh, we also get a little window into D- David. And um, he gives Saul no reason to be jealous. Let me read this in part just so you see God's incredible sense of humor. And uh, this is God's word. And is, this is also just a really funny uh, story that's also incredibly profound in shaping. So look with me in 1 Samuel chapter 24. Let me just read a couple verses together. So Saul has tried to kill David. In total, it's about 10 times. Yeah, so lots of times. And this is somewhere in between. This is about halfway of all his efforts to kill David. And we can just quickly, as an aside, also acknowledge David's like, or sorry, Saul's like not a good shot, right? Three times he tries to kill him with the spear. And um, this is like an armchair quarterback, maybe someone who like watches MMA while, you know, drinking a beer and eating nachos and thinks because there's a like Punisher sticker on the back of your truck, like all of a sudden I'm super, t- uh-oh, am I getting a little close here, some of us? Right, all of a sudden like I'm so tough, I could take anyone. And then all, he, he, like David has killed a bear, a lion, like a nine-foot giant, uh, he's now t- ten thousands, right? And uh, and yet Saul's constantly trying to pick a fight with him. It's a bad idea. Um, but David's character, much more than his strength or whatever jujitsu skills, is um, is 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 on display here. In this case, David's not perfect. We'll see lots of that coming up, by the way. But in this moment, we see a picture of humility and kindness when it's completely undeserved. Um, and some, some funny stuff in there too. When Saul returned, is it up here on the screen? Did I send that one? If not, it's all my fault. Okay, there we are. Actually, in a minute, maybe take that down. Beginning in verse 1 of chapter 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of Engedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. Almost said wild cats' rocks. I'm, I'm getting pumped for next weekend. Anyway, so verse 3, And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave. And Saul went in to relieve himself. The Hebrew is to cover his feet, to, to go to the bathroom. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost innermost parts of the cave, that same cave. And the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give your enemy into your hand, and you shall do to him as it shall seem good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. So pause there for a moment. David just so happens to be in this same cave where Saul comes in to go to the bathroom. There are all kinds of theories about how this came about. Was David planning on killing Saul? I think he just so happened to go into the cave that turns out to be the potty cave and uh, and just happens to be in there. Um, Perhaps it's it's temptation. Either way, David's friends, right, are like, you, you can imagine all the friendly wisdom that's not always right wisdom. Oh, come on. David, you're not being a good steward. Look, God has delivered Saul to you. 
take up arms, take them down. You're not being a good king. You're the anointed one. You're not all this stuff. But ultimately, David doesn't do it. He refuses. He says, who am I to take out God's anointed? He refuses to kill Saul, this time and many other times. But what he does do is he sleeks up like a ninja. And let's just acknowledge, Saul is not very observant. I don't think they had cell phones then, but he is clearly distracted while going to the bathroom. And, and uh, David like slinks up and cuts off a part of his robe. And then Saul goes out. And again, I just want to acknowledge here, sadly, um, before I come back to David and what he does with that piece of robe that he cut, um, if you continue to read in the story, and we're not going to right now, but perhaps you have, it seems like Saul has a genuine like, time of repentance. Uh, if you're not familiar with the story like I've been, when I've also, as I've read through it, I'm like, oh, Saul's, Saul's legit. He's repenting. He's sorrowful. He's, 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 he's declaring. But it's actually, when you look at it, nothing changes. If you've ever been around this or experienced it yourself, it's nothing more than like a, like a post-indulgence, empty, hollow declaration, right? Have you ever experienced that, some kind of drunk wisdom, like, oh, I'm never going to do this again. Oh, I'm going to change everything. I'm always going to do this next time. It's always going to be like this. Whatever it might be, whatever kind of sin, I've certainly experienced this myself. It's this cycle of sin that when it comes to a head, you're like, I'll never do it again. Let me just acknowledge that too is self-obsession. I'll pull myself up from my bootstraps. I'll, until sometimes, by God's grace, we're smacked in the face with our own brokenness, with our own inability to save ourselves, to get better and do better. And then we finally come to a place of surrender. Sadly and tragically, Saul never does. He declares right here and. Chapter 24, chapter 25, oh, I'll never do this again. Well, then Samuel, the, the, the prophet, finally dies. What does Saul go right back to trying to kill David multiple more times? Nothing changes. Again, let me just warn us that self-proclamation and declaration of change outside of genuine actions that prove a heart change it's, it's hollow, it's empty, it's meaningless. It's nothing more than drunk wisdom, which we all know is worth nothing. Okay, repentance is, God, I've turned away from you. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm returning to you. I need you. I'm, I'm, I, I, I need your help. I've wandered away from you and things haven't worked out very well on my own. I need your help. I'm sorry. And God is faithful and just to forgive us, to restore us, to renew us, to redeem us, to change our hearts. And then the result is a changed life. Not a perfect one, okay? We all know, I will attest to you, I continue to sin, but, but a true changed heart has a, a growing and increased quickness to repent, to turn to God, to ask for forgiveness. And then when we wander and stray, we continually walk through this. That's why we do confession and assurance of grace week in and week out. Saul, though sadly, never truly has a heart change. He goes down this slippery slope of self-obsession that leads to self-destruction and ultimately death. But in stark contrast, we know that the good news of God 
is that those who surrender find life. Those who turn to Him and trust Him find life. As I close, let me look at one more verse. It's in a beautiful picture of, of life, undeserved life in Christ. In verse 11, it was up there earlier. Let me re- read that again here. Or let me read that now. When David cuts that robe and he, he calls out to Saul and he says, See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand, for by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt my life to take it. Saul, I'm holding a piece of cloth right here from your robe. This should be your head. You deserve, li- you deserve death, but I've given you life. Though you've chosen to be my enemy, I remain your friend. And over a thousand years after this, we would hear that God declares to you and me, you've chosen to be my enemies, but instead, Instead, in turn, in response, I make you my friend. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, we're told that God, while we sinned against him, while we're yet his enemies, Christ died for us. So every week, in in a moment here, we'll take communion. Let this be similar to holding that piece of cloth. As we hold a cracker, juice, that represents Jesus' body and his blood given for us while we rebelled, while we're enemies. He chose to make us friends by giving his life for us. We take communion and we say, this could be me. This should be me. But instead, you gave yourself so that I can have life. In response, I surrender. I find life in you and in you alone, Jesus. And then something else that we'll do today is we're going to observe baptism. And I'll explain in a moment how we do that and what we're going to do. But even this, let me explain the picture of, of this. What we're walking through, the, the people getting baptized and all of us as a church get to be reminded of the good news of Jesus, of the opposite of, of self-obsession, of, of the hope and life that comes through surrender. That, that everyone who's being baptized um, will first come over here and they'll be asked a question and it will be, do you understand that, 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 that you were created by and for God and that, and that you have rebelled and turned away from him? Yes, I, I understand that. And then they'll be asked a second question. And do you understand that your rebellion, that, 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 that choosing to turn away from God deserves death and judgment, but the only and the full and sufficient um, covering of you is Jesus. He gave his life for you. He, he died on the cross and rose from the dead so that you might have life in him and him alone. Do you, have you surrendered to him and found life in him alone? Yes. Then the last question they will be asked is, um, will you seek to live all of life, all for Jesus, all of your days, not through your own strength, but by the power of the Holy Spirit whom Christ has sent? Yes. And then the person will get into the baptism here and and will be told you're baptized in the name of the father and son and holy spirit 
with Christ, you're buried dead to sin and then raised again to new life, a life of hope, of power, of surrender, of goodness. And then we will all come up here. You'll see, can you throw the picture up here? This is what it will look like because it's a reminder that we're not, it's not just an individual thing, though it is individual, it's also communal, covenantal. We'll all come up here and we'll be on this stage and we'll surround so people who are baptized, when they come out, they will be given a white towel that, that reminds them and reminds all of us of the, of the full cleansing, the purity that comes through placing our trust through surrendering to Jesus. And they, oh, go ahead and put it back up there. And they will be welcomed and, 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 and surrounded by community and reminded, oh, I, 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 through God's grace, I won't reject wisdom. I won't reject relationships and I won't reject God. He's given me a covenant community, a family to grow and, and worship in and, and alongside. So, um, if, you're, if you've put your trust in Jesus and you've never been baptized, um, we have extra towels, extra shirts. Uh, I want to invite you and encourage you uh, alongside those who plan on getting baptized. Uh, we would in- invite and w- w- welcome you um, to, to say today, I, I, I have surrendered to Jesus and I find my life in him. So now let's pray together, church. Um, I'm going to actually dismiss parents to go and get your, your kids so the kids and the child care workers can join us, and I'll pray, and then Emily is going um, to come up and lead us through response. Again, Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for our church family. Um, Lord Jesus, I pray that everyone in this room will experience the goodness and the and the the hope and the joy that comes through declaring i surrender all that in declaring i lay it all down lord some in this room have been striving trying clamoring but to seemingly no end lord i pray that we will all see the power that comes through submission. Lord, everything in our surrounding world, everything in our own broken hearts is calling out, no, don't surrender. You can't surrender. You can do it. Just try one more time. But Lord, we know that that is the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over again and expecting different results. Lord, I pray that we are all brought, Lord, to our knees, that we are all humbled before you and that we see the hope and goodness and life that comes through surrendering to you, Jesus, who's demonstrated your love by giving yourself and then raising from the dead and then bringing us along for the ride. We love you. In your name, Jesus, amen.